Welcome to the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined, as always, by Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Off the heels, or on the heels, rather, of UFC... Is it on the heels, off the heels? I don't know. Whatever. We're going to look in the, in the rearview mirror. UFC 254. A uh, very exciting card that, unfortunately, result, resulted in the retirement of Khabib Nurmagomedov. I guess, unfortunately, for the, the fans and for us who cover the sport, but not for Khabib, who has an absolutely unbelievable career... And, of course, it's sparked all kinds of conversations about who the best of all time is, the most dominant fighter, pound for pound, all of that. So Joe and I are going to uh, dissect that. But uh, first off, Joe, how are you today? I'm pretty good. Like I just mentioned to you, I'm a little chilly here. The heat in the gym is uh, not blasting out right now, so my hands are cold. But uh, we work hard here, so it warms up very quick. Well, yeah, absolutely. Lots of, uh, lots of grappling, lots of uh, striking, all of that. So uh, yeah, not too much right now. We're actually uh, with the restrictions and stuff. We can't really have, you know, uh, partner drilling and stuff like that. So it's been very difficult. Mr. Ford's not making it too easy for us to to get back to our uh, our full selves. Well, don't blame don't blame him. We have uh, people that aren't following the the different rules, and everybody's getting too yeah, comfortable. And it's a little bit of as a result, it's costing everybody. Yeah. Corona's messing me up. Mr. Ford messing me up. People not listening to restrictions are messing me up. Numbers keep rising here, but uh, I'm still trying. The key word is trying to stay positive. Things will get back to normal as soon as possible. Well, no vigilance. I'm over it. That's all I ask from you. Um, no, I'm not doing no anti-masking, <laughs> protesting. I mean, I get it why they're doing it, but I'm not doing that. I'm mm-hmm. fine wearing a mask. Just I want uh, martial arts to get back to its 100% capacity right now it's uh, a lot of fitness stuff which is good technique based but the whole fun of martial arts is kicking someone punching someone kicking their livers dropping them with low kicks taking them down that's what we want let us get back to that sounds like a blast well anyhow let's talk about (laughs) ufc 254 uh so habib versus gaichi man Habib looked absolutely unbelievable during that fight well let me let me ask you this because two judges gave justin gaichi the first round you are you value low kicks probably more than most people do. What did you think of the first round, and can you make a case that Gaethje won it? Well, I think to answer the question about me with low kicks and not scoring well, I kind of have to jump back a little to the Whitaker fight because I know a lot of people were saying Whitaker dominated all three rounds, but I thought Candonier's low kicks won him the round. I thought it was 29-28. But with the case when it comes to For you know, the main event, yeah, I thought Candonier won in the first round, to be I honest with you, with his low I, I thought you could make a case for the first round, but the second and third I thought were pretty clear for Whitaker. Yes, I agree with that. But the first round was definitely, in my eyes, uh, Whitaker. We're not valuing low kicks. Like He was hurting Whitaker with low kicks. So to me, Cannonier won that first round, but not the case when it comes to uh, Gaethje and Khabib. I, I didn't think those. I think those low kicks were not really set up good. They landed, but they didn't really slow Gaethje down. Uh, sorry, Khabib down. Khabib was able to still pressure, do his thing. Um, but yeah, I thought if anything, it was Gaethje's big overhand, you know, punch that was kind of doing a little bit more, but. I'm going to be honest and say it now and just get it over with. I thought Gaethje's striking looked absolutely terrible. 
I thought he looked sloppy. I thought he looked like an amateur. Nothing was set up. Everything was overthrown. He wasn't striking to control himself for five rounds. I've never seen the biggest looping overhands ever. It's not a clean overhand. Wasn't set up with a jab that would keep Gaethje away. There was minimal uppercuts when a, a wrestler's trying to shoot under you. Why are you throwing? He was an showing overhand? the uppercut. He was showing the uppercut for a lot of the first round. He was showing, but he didn't do nothing with it. Like yeah, because he didn't. He didn't. Khabib's he didn't, head Khabib didn't is shoot. forward, laying there. But his head's forward there, like it's still there to land. Like Khabib's leaning forward with his head there. Like the shot of throwing an, a, a, a street yard overhand doesn't make any sense. When you fight a wrestler and someone who wants to take you down, you got to strike sharp. You got to stay long. You got to use your jab to maintain distance. You got to make shots up the middle. He did none of that. And to me, I, I was honestly extremely disappointed how that stand up performance. I thought it was very amateur. Well, Khabib, That's just my opinion. Khabib did something that you often like to promote, which is pressuring the pressure fighter. And I think that yeah, overloaded Gaethje's CPU. I don't think Gaethje was expecting that kind of attack. Yeah, I mean, he was running and moving a lot. It was exhausting. I mean, but uh, Khabib's, I mean, the way he pressures you to take you down, like, I mean, we never really highly valued Khabib's stand-up, which, I mean, didn't look that bad. If, if, you're, if you're thinking... And we value Gaethje as one of these most the more dominant strikers. I mean, Khabib didn't do too bad, you know, if that's the standard we're using. But uh, what Khabib does, and one of my favorites, is um, how he throws those hooks. He hooks, 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 gets you exiting, and then takes you down. It's just, he's too sharp. And once it gets to the ground, it's masterclass. So, I mean, I just thought Gaethje's, whose whole plan was to do this spectacular calf kicks, keep the distance, stay against the cage. I didn't think he did it. I didn't do any of that, in my opinion. And I thought it was a very poor Gaethje showing. Yeah, I think it's difficult to argue that. And I thought he looked particularly bad on the ground. Like, once Khabib took him down, he was like a knife through butter. You know, moving to mount, moving to dominant positions. And uh, it was like I said to you last week, Joe, and like I said to Dan Tom before the event, we had no real empirical evidence that Justin Gaethje's wrestling was any good in MMA. We, we, just, we never yeah. saw him face somebody that level of wrestling in MMA. And, and he's been so separated from his amateur wrestling career that perhaps he's rusty, perhaps there's nothing that he's worked on, and he certainly hasn't worked on his ground game in terms of grappling on, on the ground because once Khabib took him down there, like you, you hear what Daniel Cormier said yesterday when he was talking to Ariel Hawani on DCN Hawani. He said that Khabib told him that he wanted to put Gaethje in a triangle. He transitioned from the armbar to a triangle because he, he knew Gaethje wasn't going to tap and he didn't want to injure him. Like, he had the presence of mind during that situation. That's how little defense there was on the ground from Gaethje, that he was able to basically, like, sacrifice the armbar and go for the tri- arm triangle out of pity for Justin Gaethje, essentially, in that moment because Gaethje was not resisting enough. Gaethje was not putting up enough defense on the ground that Khabib basically could do whatever he wanted in that moment and actually decided to spare Gaethje as a result, which is very kind of Khabib in the middle of a fight to have that kind of humanity. But the fact that he was able to do that and not worry about what was going to happen because uh, a triangle is a a lot more, you know, you, you can... You can put yourself in a bit more of a predicament going for a triangle than going for an armbar. Uh, yeah, I mean, both are both are ones that can be defended. I mean, th- that triangle, though, once that was locked in, it was over. 
Yeah, I mean, Khabib's pressure is just ridiculous. Like, even when he's just trying to hold you down, like, there's way too much pressure. There's way too much threat on the ground. And, I mean, all last, uh, you know, episode, it was you and I saying, like, I, okay, I understand that he wrestled in college. College is a long time ago for Justin Gaethje. It was too long ago, and it's a different style. Your, your wrestling you're going to see is totally different. There is no cage. Khabib throws you against the cage, so you can't move. He puts you in positions where, you know, I was that I was that person that thought Gaethje's wrestling had nothing to do with this fight. I, I knew this was going to happen. I thought Gaethje's toughness and durability would have kind of moved him into the later rounds. I didn't think he'd be finished like this, but yeah, I'm with you I that. predicted rear naked and finish. But I mean, Gaethje saying he was never tapped. He even tapped in that triangle. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether it was the arm or the thing, he was tapping. He tapped twice. I mean, that's how he, he, the ref was. didn't notice it, and he tapped again, and the ref yeah. still didn't notice it. I bet you, actually, Gaethje's, like, I mean, he's very positive about being like, oh, I'd rather have gotten choked out than knocked out, of course. But, I mean, like, he went out completely. And, I mean, if he would have, if the referee would have stepped in on that first tap, he may have been a little upset. So, he's probably feeling better that, hey, at least I went out, you know. Mm -hmm. In in a world title fight against the world's greatest, I at least went out. So, I'm sure he's at least happy that uh, he was able to hold on a little bit more. And he might have told Herzog before the fight, don't stop it until I go out. Because yeah, you never a know. lot of fighters sure will say that to him. Yeah, oh, for sure. Gaethje, for sure he would say that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm just, we knew Khabib was phenomenal. We knew his pressure. We knew all of this. But like I said, I think the bigger story for me was I'm, I'm disappointed in how Gaethje was the guy, the biggest prospect to beat him, you know, the guy that can do the wrestling and the striking, not scared to sit in the pocket. I didn't see anything of a a number one contender like that 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 wasn't a, a number one contender performance to me like we saw someone like i'm you got to look back look at look at raging now iaquinta took the fight on two days notice you know with no training towards the rest and took him five rounds mm-hmm. and then you have a guy who has a full plan the next thing terrible performance and trevor whitman in the corner too like a good coach not, on, not like not, yeah, not i'm not trying to slag sarah longo of course sarah longo is a good that's a great coaching team but i mean like you said two days notice iaquinta take that fight and uh, goes goes the distance with Khabib. I even think Connor looked good in parts against Khabib. Yeah, Gaethje didn't definitely. look good at all. Nothing. There was not a moment. Okay, the calf kicks were landing. If the fight would have went on to later rounds, would they have added up? Maybe, maybe. But it's also the beginning of the fight. The energy's there. Khabib's not getting overly excited to shoot in at that time because he knows the uppercuts waiting for him, and, and his timing to shoot was just it was just a matter of time. But I mean, still like. There was no setup to the low kick. There was no jabbing. There was literally winging low kicks and calf kicks, trying his best, and throwing these big looping wide and running and exhausting himself. And the- I'm sorry. If someone's pushing you back, you got to jab him. Mm-hmm. You, you can't. Of course, if you just keep moving back without jabbing someone or fainting or doing something, you're just going to end up moving back. And you just throwing one big bombing overhand shot is not going to keep a pressure fighter. If anything, it's going to invite him to come in. Like it's, it's, it was a terrible showing, a terrible performance in my eyes. And the thing I'm going to miss most about watching Khabib was the look. Gaethje had the look at the end of the first round where he was like, this is something entirely different than what I was, I'm accustomed to. We had Connor, we saw that look on Connor's face. We saw that look on, on Ayakinta's face. We saw that look on Poirier's face. That look of, this is entirely different from what I'm accustomed to and... I don't know what to do here. <laughs> I'm just out of ideas. Yeah. And that was after the first round. That's when you that's when you knew that in the second round he was in some trouble. 
Yeah. It was just to me, it's as soon as it hits the ground, the way he controls your feet, he pins you right away, puts you down, puts the pressure on him. Like you just see that level come out so quick. And it just, it's incredible to see. And it, it was actually inspiring for us and Malcolm, uh, Gordon to see because we're like, that's the pressure we need, Malcolm. When we get Sue on November 28th, that is the pressure we're doing. So we're like, let's bring that Dagestani pressure. So, I mean, I think a lot of mixed martial artists, he's changed the game. Um, he's made wrestling. Like, if you would have took back two years ago, I think Dana White wasn't accepting wrestlers. If you if you went in and you wrestled, the UFC didn't want you. John Fitch, they didn't want John Fitch. You know, you don't want wrestlers. And now he brought a style of wrestling to MMA that made it exciting and got people really focusing on uh, that aspect now. So he's done great things. Um, my question to you is, were you shocked that his retirement came the way it did? Did you guys have any you know, tell that he was going to retire? Was well, there any sign? One thing that people always uh, talked about with him is after his dad passed away, people said, will he ever fight again? And I think that that idea that his father's passing would have impacted him to the point where he wasn't going to be inspired to fight anymore. I think this fight in his mind, he was like, this one is for my father and then I'm done. Because I don't think he wanted to fight again. I don't, and his mother didn't want him to fight again. But he knew he yeah. ha- he knew Gaethje was the interim champion. He owed it to Gaethje to come. Gaethje wanted to face him. And uh, I think he wanted to pay tribute to his father in the way that he best can, which is in the cage. And then that's a wrap. Did I, uh, did I expect this to be his last fight? I didn't. But yeah. after I thought he, one more. But when he announced it, I was not shocked. I was shocked at the time. But thinking back on it, I, I understand. And he's, he's a person of such conviction that... I, uh, I think this is final. I don't think that he's yeah. going to fight again. But, yeah. um, you know, it also opened the door for the debates. Who's the best ever? Who's the most dominant ever? Who's the pound for pound best ever? So I'm going to break this down. I want you to, I want to hear your opinions on this. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Uh, on the greatest of all time? Uh, well, I want to do three categories. I think pound okay. for pound right now, Habib is the best in the world. Pound for pound. In terms of right now, okay. today, I think he's the pound yes. for pound best in the world. I, I think he's that. the most dominant fighter of all time. I don't think that there's been anybody who's dominated opponents in the way that he has, where he lost over the course of his career, documented two rounds, one of, one, one of which was the one against Gaethje this weekend that he clearly didn't lose. He's lost basically yeah. one round in the history of his UFC career. And you have to think back to when was he hurt? Oh, the one time he was hurt against Michael Johnson like yeah. four years ago. Or and like, he still won that so round. You can't really think. And he still won. But I mean, that's the only time we can really pick a spot where he's been vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and then you talk about the best of all time. And that's when I think it becomes a debate. Because I yes. personally still think John Jones is the best of all time. Uh, a lot of people who think otherwise are people that believe that he should be disqualified from the conversation because of the positive tests. I'm not of that opinion, but I understand if you are. I, I'm not going to tell people that they should feel a certain way. I'm just saying that my opinion is that he's the greatest of all time. He's the best I've ever seen. For, what, for him to have done what he did at such a young age, basically beating the murderer's row of the light heavyweight division, which at the time was the strongest division in the sport, and he ran through everybody like it was absolutely nothing. I don't think we've seen anything like that before. Um, I think that the closest thing that we've seen to that is probably what Khabib has done in his last three fights. But I also don't think Khabib has the resume of a John Jones. I don't think he has the resume of a GSP. I don't think he has the resume of an Anderson Silva. But I do think that if you're talking about the greatest of all time, Khabib is certainly in the conversation. But I think it's Jones. Yeah, I actually agree with you on both. I mean, um, you have to say John Jones. If you look at undefeated as being a thing, 
let's re- let's see it. John Jones is basically undefeated. You can't take that Matt Hamill as a loss on his record. So he's still undefeated. He's what really sold me was actually John Jones being John Jones. John Jones lately is being like Conor McGregor, where after every fight he likes to kind of chime in, you know, show get his name out there, and you know, he posted on social media saying something like. Kind of right after Khabib said that, you know, he wants to be known as one of these greatest of all time, one of the best. And he goes, you only had four title defense to my 12 title defenses. That's that is a big difference. And you got to think and really value that as the greatest of all time. You know, like that, that's 12, you know, title defenses, 12, you know, and, and I mean. It's tough to say, and a lot of the and, and a lot of the PEDs we've seen John Jones for. I mean, he's only been really tested with picograms of anabolics, right? We've never he's never been caught with. So a lot of his trouble has been, you know, party drugs, you know, and other things. So it's kind of like he's not. We've never really been caught with these big anabolics like we've seen with some of the other fighters, like an Anderson Silva, Vitor Belfort. So it's kind of slightly different. But I mean, that 12 title defense, the age he did it. I mean, and still staying on top for that many years. And I mean, I still think John Jones. I mean, I also think back at GSP, but I also think, you know, he had those losses, but he did overcome those losses at the same time. But I mean, he is a two division champion, but a two division champion where he came in to fight Bisping, you know, where Bisping wasn't the most dominant of the middleweights we're going to see. So it kind of like makes me think, you know, that. Uh, but yeah, I go hands down, John Jones, greatest of all yeah. time. Well, I'll say this. If people don't believe John, John Jones is the best of all time now, even if he goes on to win the heavyweight championship, I think they're still going to use that same logic as to why he's still not the best ever. Even, if he, becomes, even if he becomes a two-division champion. But uh, So, I mean, I, I, I don't think that John Jones needs to be doing all this lobbying for saying that he's the best ever, the best pound for pound. Let, let people have their opinions. Who cares? Like, yeah. if, if if there are enough people that say John Jones is the best to ever do it, why does he need to make a whole this whole argument about it? Because by by making this argument that you're the best ever, all you're doing is stoking the flames of the people that are saying, "Well, you failed a drug test and you hid under the octagon yeah. and you and you had a DUI and all this stuff." You're just going to enable those people. Just say to just give Khabib his due. Like I don't think he needs to make it all about him. You know, I, I, if he wants to make a case for being the best ever, do it when you retire. Like, he still has time. He still has fights that he wants to do. He still wants to win the heavyweight championship. You know, like, don't, don't write your own story right now. You, he, John Jones still has a lot more of his story to write. By him doing this, I think it's a bad look. You, you, George St. Pierre's asked about it. You don't see, I think George St. Pierre, if you asked him who the best ever is, I think he'd say it's, it's Anderson Silva still. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. I, I still... That's George. You know, yeah, George won't say it's him. George won't lobby and say, do this. And then when he was asked by Ariel Hawani, oh, would, you know... Do you want to, are you going to try to get Khabib to come out of retirement to face you? George was like, that would be disrespectful to his family. I would never do that. I actually think that yeah. the interesting thing that people aren't really talking about is Khabib retiring is basically the equivalent of saying George is never coming back. Like it closes the door on St. Saint- Pierre has never closed the door on coming back. He said all the stars would have to align. It would have to be a catchweight against Khabib and all this stuff. If Khabib is out, George is out. Like there's, there's no reason yeah. for George St. Pierre to come back now. Um, so now we kind of have, we kind of close the door on... George's career and on Khabib's career. So you can kind of look at that to assess who you think is in that conversation for greatest ever. And I still think that Anderson Silva, like he's going to face Uriah Hall. If he beats Uriah Hall this weekend at age 45 under USADA, like you have to, yeah. you have to take, you have to use that as part of the argument for Anderson and Anderson lasting three rounds with Israel, I think is part of the conversation as well. 
But, you know, I'm doing an essay on Anderson Silva right now for SportsCenter. And one thing I noticed is when he debuted in the UFC, he was less than a year younger than Khabib is now when Khabib's retiring. So if you think about the wow. fact that Anderson put together 16 consecutive wins, most title defenses in the history of middleweight, most finishes in the, middle of, in the, in the history of middleweight, most KOs in the, in the history of middleweight, most fight bonuses in the history of the middleweight division, like his resume is absolutely unbelievable. But I know you've been watching the sport for a long time. I know I've been watching the sport for a long time. When we're looking at recency bias, all people think about is the recent run that, that uh, Anderson's had where it's been all these losses. I think he's won, what, like twice this decade maybe? You, you look at the failed tests and all of that, but people don't remember how much of an event it was to watch Anderson Silva fight. Like this guy, I think, is the most creative fighter that we've ever seen at a high level in the UFC. The most entertaining fighter we've ever seen at a high level in the UFC. What he brought to the table... Like, people forget how good this guy is. And I think that any conversation about the greatest ever, you need to have Anderson Silva in there because of all of the incredible stuff that he did in his prime. And if you keep in mind the fact that he's still going, he's actually going to retire after Khabib. And I, I had pointed out that um, Khabib, when, when Anderson, sorry, when Khabib made his professional, UA, sorry, his professional MMA debut, Anderson was older now, um, at that time than Khabib is now. Like, Khabib was 19 when he made his, his professional MMA debut. And Anderson, at that time, was older than Khabib is now. So think about all the, how long it took Khabib to build this resume. Anderson was already older than he is currently. Yeah. <laughs> at yeah. that time. Like, it's unbelievable what Anderson's been able to accomplish in this career. And I think yeah. we need to take what Anderson's done in his 40s and just kind of... You can't make that part of the resume, really, because... Nobody's expecting him to be that good in his 40s. Like, he's 45 years old. How many, yeah, how many and, fighters <laughs> in, in, that aren't heavyweights fight until they're 45 years old? Yeah. How old? How, Aaron, I don't think you mentioned. How old is Anderson Silva? 45. <laughs> I think you mentioned it like six times. Because it needs to be sentence. mentioned. He's, head, he's headlining an event at age 45, and he's retiring yeah. after Khabib. Yeah. It's, it just, it's mind-blowing how much Anderson Silva has done that people just forget about. And you got to think, too, even in his prime, he was jumping to 205. He was one of the first few guys we've seen just right. jumping between 205 and 185 and knocking 205ers out, yeah. too. Like, I mean, he was jumping around, not scared of size. Um, Daniel Cormier. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, that's crazy. Watch, like, watch the Bonner fight. I insane. watched the Bonner fight today, the Stephen Bonner fight. That fight is yeah. unbelievable. Like, he, yeah. he is walking back, to, walking to the cage and putting his back against it and waving... Bonner in to give him, he's like, hit me with your best shot. Come on, let's go. And yeah. like, he's just toying with him like he's a piece of food. And he did the yeah. same thing with Forrest Griffin. It's crazy though, but you're absolutely right. Being, when you use the word greatest of all time, like time is a, is a reference of, like he is, what he did was the greatest in mixed martial arts. In, in the time he's done it and how long he's done it and the style he did it with, he's knocked guys out with knees. Up elbows, front kicks, submissions, you know, too. triangle yeah. chokes from losing to Chael Sonnen for you know ninety percent of a fight to finishing fights to to being in the in the UFC's most exciting fights to being in the UFC's most boring fights. Like he's done everything when it comes to fighting, and I mean that's a true um, word of a martial artist, and that's very like to me that's someone that I value. Like I mean I look at someone like him and man, I'm like. 
that's 10 years for me. If I'm still training at that level, like I see myself like Anderson Silva. I was unlucky to not be able to compete with the too many concussions, but I will be training just as hard as Anderson Silva at his age. So like that to me is like just shows true martial art um, master. And that it's just beautiful to see. And he, and just, he does it because he loves it. Mastered martial mixed martial arts, right? Yeah. Like we've seen old karate masters go until their seventies, eighties, until they die. We've seen you know jujitsu practitioners in the Gracies, but like he's one of the oldest martial artists that has done it for such a long time at the level he's in it. Like you said, forty-five years old. It's impressive. And the funny thing Unreal. is, people write him off and write off Anderson as being one of the the greatest because of the. Uh, the drug tests. Let's like let's let's look at this for a second and look at the guys that he beat during his streak. Nate Marquardt popped at some point. Yeah. Dan uh, Dan yeah. Henderson high testosterone used TRT high testosterone. James Irvin popped after their fight. Uh, Forrest Griffin popped after their fight. Uh, Chael Sonnen popped after their fight. Uh, Stephen Bonner popped after that fight. All of this is pre Usada when it was an IQ yeah. test. So if Belfort you're gonna, if you're gonna, too. oh, and, yeah, yeah and he fought, and he fought, yeah, Vitor Belfort who had the, T, the TRT exemptions. He was beating yeah. all these guys th- during that era. So you can't say, oh, Anderson was cheating. Everybody was. You know, like you can't write off yeah. this guy's accomplishments when he's beating people that are getting popped pre-USADA when it was basically an IQ test. Imagine how much they had in their system at that time. Think about yeah. it. So if you're going to write him off, you got to remember that his best success was in an era when you have to almost assume that everybody was using. Yeah, but then you can say that still with the George St. Pierre reference to go right for sure. But that's why I think that when you when people disqualify Anderson and and even John Jones to an extent from the argument of the greatest ever, and and put GSP in it, GSP fought during that era too. And even though GSP never popped, it's still during that era. If you're gonna put people in the conversation from that era, you have to remember that the testing sucked, and and yeah. we don't know who was using what. And everybody basically could have been using it at that time because the, the regulations in place at the time were the commission basically testing you after the weigh-ins. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, people were, were facing, I, I think that if you were to take, what, what percentage would you guess of people in the UFC during that era were using something that would be banned today no, by USADA? It's got to be a massive number. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, at that point, you would think so. But uh, yeah, that's something I can't even speak on. I couldn't even tell you. Right. So, but It'd when be... you but when you think about it that way, all these people disqualifying Jones, disqualifying Anderson, because of their positive test at some point in their career. Like when Anderson tested positive, he was like forty years old, forty one years old. Like he was he was well past his prime. Like he was at an age where people. You know, in order to continue fighting, a lot of them had to use uh, things like that. And there was a culture like, w- if I if I were to guess whether or not Anderson was using during his career, I, like I don't want to do that. But like you just look at that era, and yeah, I think that when you're disqualifying people, and people bring Fedor into the conversation when Fedor was fighting in in Pride, a promotion where a lot of people speculate they were fixed fights. I think people from Pride have come out subsequently and said that they were offered they were offered money to throw fights. The drug testing there was like no testing. And Fedor was encouraged. Yeah, it was encouraged, encouraged right? To take it. So yeah. if people want to put Fedor in that conversation, it's like, oh, well, he never popped. It's like, yeah, but like, let's let's take a look at yeah. where he was fighting, what the circumstances were, his, you know, the win streaks against people that might have been throwing fights. We don't know. Again, it's 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 yeah. more it's just there's an air of uh, suspicion around that around Pride around that whole era. So if you're gonna do a greatest of all times list, you have to keep that stuff in mind rather than shutting people out of that discussion because of uh, evidence that came about after when they were doing their best work. 
<laughs> yeah. I'm actually, part of me is curious. I remember you mentioned a while ago, you spoke to a doctor when, um, like a doctor that specialized a little bit more in, uh, I think, uh, steroid use or something, I'm pretty sure. Or you had someone who was part of USADA. But I would be, I'd like to know now if guys are able to get away with things. Like, you know, because I mean, you hear guys like Adesanya, you hear some of the top dogs in the UFC come out and say things like, oh, there's ways around it. I'm, George says I'm it. just trying to think how. Yeah. Yeah, but like, and that's why I'm so curious to know, like, what are the ways guys doing it? Like, I'm so My guess confused. would be microdosing. Because yeah. if, but then if, isn't that picking up picograms? Like, isn't that the whole no, picogram issue? I believe issue? that it has, and again, I'm not a doctor. I don't know about any of this. But I believe that it has basically a 12 to 24-hour half-life in your system. So if somebody comes and tests you one day, and as soon as they leave, you microdose. Like the chances okay. are you're gonna get away with it. you're gonna get away with it, right? Like But if it's twenty four hours and then they come back I'm sure there's been multiple back to backs, but maybe. I but don't know. but maybe people will roll that dice. Maybe it's only a six hour half life. I personally am of the belief that that the biggest edge that these performance enhancing drugs give people is mental. I think that I think that it would it's the the idea of knowing that you are on something gives you this extra strength. Because yeah, if you look at placebo. a lot of the people there are a lot of people that post-USADA were a shell of their former selves and could not perform. And then there were people post-USADA that I'm sure were implicated beforehand that, that still performed well. And there were people that probably didn't use that still performed well. I, I honestly believe that a lot of the side effects of, of taking it are a mental edge that you're on something, that you have this... Like, the idea that you have an edge over somebody gives you a mental edge. And that's, that's taken that's, away that's once USADA comes market. Yeah, but like, that's the whole supplement market right now. Like people take supplements. It's pretty proven that like all the supplements that you go to buy at your nutrition store is not going to help you. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's the only one that they've really said that's really beneficial for you would be something like a creatine. So only proven supplement that's going to help you. So if all of a sudden you're like, hey, this is the only supplement that helps you on the market. Here's the creatine. It helps with your muscle mass. You are going to feel better. That placebo effect. Yeah. I always give the example of the, the space jam when Bugs Bunny was giving everyone the magic water to make them special, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a placebo effect and we're all, you know, suckers to it in, in science and in life. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's where I think good coaching plays. Like, I mean, the confidence for me was knowing that my coach thought I was going to win. So, I mean, that's the, that's what I try to do with my fighters. Like with Malcolm, like every day I'm, I'm sitting there, Malcolm, like, Oh, you're going to smash this guy. You're going to do good. I'm building that confidence in his mind whether it's a placebo whether it's not he has to fight confidently with all these negative things jumping into his mind so yeah i think it's a big factor well, i mean I or, and it's in the opposite too when you don't have it now you 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 think you're so reliant on it and now you're like i don't have it i'm not going to be as good as i was and then already you're putting yourself in this negative you know down spiral yeah, I bet if you gave people powder that was called magic and said this stuff is unbelievable, and you you got you got everybody from your team to be in on it and tell one guy like I took the stuff, it's like it's it's honestly it is magic, it's, it's unbelievable. And then after they win yeah. their fight, you be you basically say, well, that was like algae powder or alpha alpha powder or something, and like it was just yeah. them doing it. You would probably empower them quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's that I highly recommend that Space Jam movie. It's a cartoon, but you actually learn a lot about it. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, learn a lot about that placebo. Space Jam Two is coming out, I think, this next year. Is it? Yeah. Ah, okay. You can go t take your team I'll... to see it. 
That's it. Yeah, then they're going to know the trick. If I ever decide to do magic water, then they're going to know. Exactly. Then it just, just there goes my experiment. <laughs> Uh, we mentioned the co-main event um, between Robert Whitaker and Jared Cannonier. If you were the UFC, what would you do next with Israel, knowing that we've already seen him versus Whitaker before? Well, I mean, obviously, from what we saw from Whitaker, you want to put him next. But uh, apparently, Izzy's not ready for it. I mean, um, and I also heard Whitaker is having another child, so he's not going to rush to do it. Yeah. So, I mean... Uh, I mean, do you want to shake it up a bit? Maybe you give him the uh, the winner of the Hermanson Till fight. That could be interesting. I would give him Jan Bojovic. That would be okay, my. Okay, I've move. heard that too. I heard that too. Oh, and I mean, um, but everyone's saying it's a dirty move though, because you know, like, oh, you don't want to go fight John Jones now, but uh, now you're fighting Blachowicz, which is like, yeah, because I want a two division title and it's a winnable fight. Why wouldn't I? But think, GSP think of it this did way, that though. with Bisping. Yeah, but think of it this way: if if. Israel beats Jan Blachowicz and becomes a two-division champion. Him versus John Jones would be one of the biggest fights they could ever promote. You've got a two-division champion facing a guy that a lot of people consider to be the greatest of all time in a feud that's been brewing for like two years. There would not be a bigger fight that you could make than yeah. Israel versus Jones under those circumstances, in my opinion. But Jones is here chasing his own double world title now, right? So that's going to yeah, be the issue. But you know what else? Money talks. Money talks. Yeah. And also, if you if he has that kind of disdain for Israel, and he sees Israel walking around with that light heavyweight belt, he's going to want to move back down to 205 and face Israel. Um, it's and, almost... And, and it's weird. It's no disrespect to Jan Bojovic. Like People think it's kind of this foregone conclusion that if Israel faces Jan, that he's going to beat him. But let's be honest. If I were to ask you who's the most beatable champion in the UFC right now, in your opinion, I'd say if you did a, a, a survey of, of UFC fighters, the overwhelming majority would say it's Jan Bojovic. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's up mean, to him to prove be... otherwise. I'm not saying it's true. He needs to prove yeah. otherwise. I mean, but also, too, with, with John uh, Jones, it's the kind of the heavyweight division is almost in a similar landscape, I think, because I personally, like I keep saying on the show, I think once Francis Nagano gets that world title, it's going to be very difficult to dethrone him. I mean, I even watched him working with, you know, um, who was a Teddy Atlas, and I'm seeing him box and move. I'm like, I have never seen such a big man move so fast, so technical on angles. So, I mean, I think the smart move now would almost be, I know it's not possible because Nagano's getting the t next title shot, yeah, I assume. Apparently in March. But if, Dana if White John said, Jones said were to March. fight, I think John Jones beats Stipe. And, and I think, you know, Israel beats Blahovic. So it's almost like a cool, you can almost have you know, three big titles and, and when those guys eventually meet. Because I think Stipe, you know, um, John Jones beats Stipe right now where he'll lose to a Nagano in my eyes. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll have to see. I don't want to write Stipe off. Stipe has beaten Francis. So I, I feel like a lot of people are already saying, you know, in a rematch, Francis is going to win. Francis, You know, even yeah. Cormier saying Francis is going to win. But let's yeah. not write Stipe off. Like, Stipe, I think, is the most disrespected fighter maybe in UFC history based on his accolades. Like, we talk about the best ever, and everybody brings up Fedor, and people bring up Mighty Mouse. Nobody brings up Stipe. But Stipe has the most heavyweight defenses in UFC history. Beat Cormier twice. A lot of people put Cormier in the discussion over Stipe. Yeah, it's the two title, right? Yeah, but did he that's, win the light? A, did he beat Jones to win that light heavyweight title? I'm not trying to disrespect yeah. that's Daniel why we Cormier. Have the two lists. That's why we have the two lists, right? Yeah, but no, but Daniel Cormier, people say, you know, it's because he was a two division champion, but he never beat Jones to become the light heavyweight champion. 
So he yeah. was basically yeah. the best Fair of the point. rest at that point in time. He was the best of the rest. Yeah. And I, I hate yeah. to say that. It is what it is. And I think... I think that, you know, while it is unfair to take that away from him, he was the rightful champion. He defended that title. He, you know, he beat really tough guys during that time. At heavyweight, he beat Stipe. Like, but how do you put him above Stipe in a conversation just because he, yeah. he won a title when the other champion was out? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Twice, my too, opinion. right? My so, opinion. Yeah, twice. Yeah. My, yeah, my, again, my opinion on it, but it's, it's hard. Like, it's because I still think that you have to put Cormier in the top 10 of all time, but. How do you put him above Stipe in, in an all-time conversation? Yeah, that's a good point. Do you have a favorite uh, Khabib moment and subsequently a favorite Anderson Silva moment? Uh, I remember last time I was telling you my Anderson moment was uh, was with the, the Belfort front kick. And oh, yeah, I liked his, uh, his, Lieben, his Lieben entrance and his Rich Franklin knees. The Rich Franklin yeah, knees those were, were some of my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, that was up there. But he had a wicked just before his UFC. It was a cage wars, cage rage. He had a nice up elbow that we never. Oh, really I remember seen. that one. Yeah, I yeah, kind of came upwards. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty good, kind of like Yair Rodriguez. One. Yeah, so I mean, he's got some good finishes. Uh, Khabib moment. I've never been a big Khabib fan. Uh, I mean, I, I appreciate what he does, but uh, I really wouldn't say there was any moment that really stood out. If, if anything, to me. Um, getting really hyped up with him and his Conor McGregor moments. I think that was just a fun time, fun fight, a lot of attention, him jumping o- jumping over the cage to the eagle jump. Like, I think that was my favorite moment because of the excitement it brought. But, uh, again, I value him extremely high as, as a martial artist, as a, as a fighter, but uh, just not my style of fighter. I'm a striker. I value cleanliness in his feet. But uh, yeah, I would just say his fights with his fight with Connor, just the excitement that it brought and uh, all the the excitement afterwards. Uh, my favorite was uh, in the fight with Michael Johnson when he's on top of Michael Johnson and telling him to quit. He's like, "Quit! I need to become the champion. Yeah, yeah. Quit!" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's my favorite that's a moment. Scary man he's in yeah, the middle in of the fight, just talking too, to him. And... He was talking. To, he did the same yeah. thing to Connor during their fight. Yeah, yeah. I forget what he said. Even to when Connor. he got in his oh, yeah, face. You're, yeah, yeah, you're talking now. Say something now. Yeah, say something now. Yeah. yeah, say something now. Yeah, no, I, I'm telling you, it's, it's beautiful to see. And the, I just love how good he is with his family and his, his team. But like I said, from a fighting standpoint, it's just not my style of fighter. All right, well, why don't we wrap on this? What do you think is going to happen next to the lightweight division now that we have uh, I was gonna ask you a vacant that, title? Because I've been hearing everyone talking about it. I want to hear your perspective. Well, here's what I would do if it were up to me. If it were up to me, I'd have Connor versus Poirier. And I'd do Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. And uh, the winner of those two fights face each other for the championship. Yeah. But what I think is yeah, actually... I agree with that. What I think is actually going to happen is Poirier and McGregor is just going to be for the title. Yeah. Which is fine. I mean, you've got to think Gaethje just had a shot. You know, yeah, Chandler's well, just coming into the division. Well, so, here's I the mean, circle yeah, of... It's a, fair, it's a fair reason to do. The circle of lightweight is, is this. You've got Connor, who's beaten Poirier, albeit at 145 pounds, whatever, seven years ago, however long ago it was. Mm-hmm. You have... Poirier, who's beaten Gaethje, and Gaethje, who's beaten Ferguson. So that kind of like almost gives you the pecking order. And uh, I think, yeah. you know, it would have been suspect if they would have given Connor a title shot without having him, without him, well, I guess, against Khabib, if Khabib was still the champion, if Khabib wasn't retiring, rather. If you would have given Connor an instant title shot after beating Cerrone, I think that raises some questions. With Khabib yeah. out of the picture, I think you can give him a title shot without there being any real qualms about that from others. 
Yeah, because you got to think, even when you compare everyone else's fight with Khabib, he did the best, right? I mean, he did get finished, but he did better than Gaethje. I mean, Poirier didn't really do much either, really. He just took a beating for most of it. So I think, yeah, it makes sense to see Connor and Khabib fight for that belt. If anything, it's positive if Connor wins it. The attention, the hype is great for the UFC, great for the division. Um, Poirier winning, just a good, solid guy who paid his dues and earns it, former interim champion. So, I mean, both of those guys are well-deserving of it, and I think it just keeps, uh, you know, the lightweight division still exciting. And I think Conor winning it would just, you know, be phenomenal for the organization again. If money wasn't an issue and people would just agree to this, it obviously would never happen, but if in fantasy land, what I would do is I'd go on Fight Pass, I'd do a live show, and it would basically be the draw tournament brackets for the lightweight division. You put names in a hat, and you just pull them out. You put, you got... You got Connor, you got Gaethje, you got Chandler, you got Tony Ferguson, you got Dan Hooker, you got, uh, 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 sorry, uh, Charles Oliveira, and you've got uh, Paul Felder. You just take those, those, or sorry, I guess with uh, Oliveira, that's six. You take those six names, you probably need eight. So you put Felder and then whoever the next guy is a lightweight. I don't know who, who it would be. You put all it's those Diego eight guys. Diego Ferreira right now. Diego Ferreira, yeah. So put even De- Diego Ferreira, great. You put all those guys' names in a hat and you just draw them. Just draw them up, yeah. put it, and then match them up, and go from there. <laughs> May the best now, man win. Question for you: Why didn't you put? Uh, why do you put Chandler over someone like a Tony Ferguson? You said you want those two to fight. We don't really value. You got to remember what Ferguson and how dominant his run was. I'm just curious because I I did the same thing at first, and I was wondering like, but you one bad. Ferguson fight and then we kind of don't you know we, we kind of write him off he was so dominant for so many years so why isn't he part of that top four I'll tell you why because obviously with the Gaethje loss that kills his momentum but let's look at the resume he had that great winning streak here's the winning streak Mike Rio Katsunori Kukuno Danny Castillo April Trujillo that rhymes Glayson Tebow Josh Thompson Edson Barbosa good win Lando Venata who took the fight on short notice Rafael Dos Anjos, who has lost four of his last five, something along those lines. Kevin Lee, who we've seen has not ended up panning out. Anthony Pettis, Donald Cerrone. There is not a single top five guy in that resume. And while, Chan- and while Chandler is basically new uh, to this whole equation, I still think that if you want to hype this guy up, make him big, and also you look at the wars that he had with Eddie Alvarez, if you can, if you can put him in there with Gaethje, that is a can't-miss fight. And I just think that Ferguson, he bet on himself and he lost. And he still, for whatever reason, thinks that he's entitled to a, a title shot. But the win streak doesn't hold as much. It's, it's not as good as it once was. That's, that's all it yeah, is. Yeah. The guys that he has beaten have subsequently gone downhill. And whether that's a result of him beating them, I don't know. But those wins are no longer held to the same esteem as they were two, three years ago. They just aren't. And... Uh, Unfortunately for him, I think that that could could be what has either Gaethje or Chandler leapfrogging him. Because you can also look at Gaethje and say, hey, he lost to Alvarez, he lost to Poirier, and then he really laid an egg this past weekend. You can make a case that maybe Ferguson should jump him. But he also beat Ferguson, right? So you kind of you have to weigh all these things. So what's, what's logical next for Ferguson? Where would you put him next? Like one more, maybe one of the losers? I'd put him against Charles Oliveira. Another shot? I'd put him against Charles Oliveira. Give him some time to heal even? No, put him against Charles Oliveira and let's see what he can do. Because I think Charles Oliveira is a legit guy. And I think that we need to get Tony. If you, if you want to see where Tony's at, if he beats Charles Oliveira, 
then now he's kind of got some momentum back. It's you know it's a big win for him. Charles Oliveira is an impressive guy. If he loses to Charles Oliveira, we know where he's at, and now you can build up Charles Oliveira off the back of Tony Ferguson. And and Dan Hooker, I've seen is yeah, uh, Hooker's another option. Oliveira too. You do but... Hooker versus Tony Ferguson's another, I think, good. But I, I think Oliveira is deserving of a, of a big fight like that as well. Oliveira is a very he's a very underrated fighter. I think um, had he time. not lost to Paul Felder a couple of years ago, he might be a little bit further along into the mix. But uh, Oliveira's just been an absolute tear. He's an exciting oh, fighter for sure. He's overall stri- striking, grappling, jiu-jitsu. He does it all like yeah. at the highest level. And his striking has improved so much. He's just Big so time. dangerous everywhere. I that's the that's one fight that I would have loved to see is Khabib versus Charles Oliveira. I would have loved to see that yeah. fight because yeah, if if, be if Khabib shoots on him. Let's see what happens. <laughs> because Charles Oliveira grabs your neck and he hangs on for dear life and it looks like your head's going to pop off. I actually have one more question for you. Shoot. What, okay. So what was your take on the Shamaya uh, Oh, Edwards yeah. This matching? is a good thing to discuss. Yeah, I, need to hear, I need to hear your perspective on did this. Did we not talk about this last week? Did I not say that that's who we should face next on the show last week? I, I'm pr- you did say that, but I want now I want to hear what your thoughts are. Because you're hearing so many mixed messages. Um, you know, Leon Edwards, good that he finally took it. Bad move. He's fighting a Shemaev that's unranked. He wins. Everyone's going to say, well, yeah, you beat an unranked fighter. He loses, kind of takes him out of that top picture now. So, I mean, I think personally, like, if you value Shemaev as your next title contender, and if Edwards beats him, I think he has to remain one of your next top guys for a shot. Yeah, well, here's, here's, think, here's the thing. I think if Edwards beats Shemaev, he's next in line. He's he's yeah. next in line for the for the title because but remember what I was saying, Joe, about how people were not going to face Shemaev unless he had a number next to his name. That point was proven a thousand percent last week when they took the ranking away from Leon Edwards for refusing to fight Shemaev. They stripped him of the yeah. ranking because he wouldn't fight Shemaev, and then once he agreed to the fight, the ranking's right back. He's number three again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's exactly what I said, and everybody was calling me an idiot. Oh, you, no, no, he doesn't, he doesn't warrant a ranking. He's favored against Leon Edwards, the number three guy in the world right now. He's the favorite. Yeah. Hamza Shemaev is, yeah. is expected. He doesn't need a number. He's expected to beat Leon Edwards. Nobody wanted to fight this guy. Yeah. Props to Neil Magny. Neil Magny is the only guy who spoke up and said, "I'll face this guy." So, yeah. I'm I glad mean, that this Wyman fight's happening. Too, but different division, but yeah. This is sink or swim for Shemaev. But if Shemaev wins this fight, he's in line for a title shot right away. Because how impressive yep. would it be for him to beat guys? You know, people always slag his resume. Oh, he beat Phillips, and John Phillips isn't a you yeah. Know, he's not I a great do that fighter. to him every week. Yeah, he he beat he beat Mirashard. It was a short fight. He beat um, Reese McKee. He was a lightweight. All these things, all these excuses people are making for why he shouldn't be ranked. Assess him on performance. He was he dominated all three of those guys and made it look like it looked like Khabib versus me. Like it looked, it yeah. he made it look so easy. So you got to look at how people perform when you're talking about their rankings, not just who they're beating. He's still beating UFC caliber talent. Yeah. And even if they're considered whatever lower level, the way he's beating these guys, it shows how good he is. And now we get to see him against Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards is perpetually underrated. And if Leon Edwards beats him, I think you have to, you have to give Leon Edwards some respect and give him a title shot. But if Chamayev beats him, now you've got a guy that's right in the title mix. Believe me, yeah. they're reeling from Khabib being out now, being retired. If, if you watch that post-fight press conference, Dana White looked like he was awake. He looked horrified yeah, yeah. At, at the yeah, fact that yeah. their biggest star... The whole market. Yeah, arguably the biggest their biggest star... They have now. I'd say behind Conor, their biggest star is walked away. And yeah. he, was, he was floored by it. Like he, he didn't want to answer questions afterwards. I don't blame him. 
their cash yeah. cow walk, he leaves and now so who's next who do you want to build up next Shemaev's the guy Shemaev's the yeah. guy that they want to make into the next Khabib yeah I mean I don't know like I said I'm a Shemaev guy that's saying he's got to prove it I think even Edwards a big win there I mean that's when I, I would give him the credit he deserves. That's a, a, a win well, with Edwards. To. He's the number three guy in, the, yeah. in one of the deepest divisions right now. Yeah. But again, like I said, I come from a career that was really similar to Shamayev. So I I see where he's going, what he's doing, how, how positive he is. So if he's as good as he is, we're going to see it very quick. So that's what I, I kind of like about it. I mean, my... What was it my third glory fight? I fought Kareem Gaji, who had over 100 professional fights. So at that point, when I beat him, I knew, and then I just launched. So if he can, you know, put out a few, you know, a good dominant performance, and then that's where he's earned my respect. But I think one of the tougher fights. For he's him, kind of the opposite of you, though. I don't think you had the hype. You were just good. <laughs> he I was he just has good, the hype. Yeah, but he still, has the hype. Like, I need to see the performance. I'm not looking at the hype. I'm seeing the performance. Can he now, with this hype? come in here and dominate the, these top guys in the division. So, I mean, then he'll be spectacular to me. It's, I still yeah. don't love his personality, and my alpha male comes out where I don't like that he feels he can smash everyone because that's what alphas do. We all say that. But well, uh, you might see him in Vegas when you're there. Yeah. He's I want to see how big he is. He'll be fighting in Vegas like two weeks later. All right. I want to see his size. I want to see him. I mean, I'm, I'm curious. I mean – Again, I don't have to love his style, his personality, but I value what he does. I value what he his uh, his confidence and a confident fighter. He's getting that magic drink we keep talking about. He's got that confidence. He's riding. He's a, a confident guy like that. Is always scary to beat. If, so, he, if he walks he up to you at the, the if he walks up to you at the PI and he's like, "Brother, I like your kickboxing skills. Let's spar." Yeah. What are you saying? I smash you. I smash. I, 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 I know you're a good kickboxer, but you. I would smash. I would smash you. Yeah. What, what, what your He'll reaction? Ask me to spar. I would say I'd smash him. <laughs> He'll say you're a good kickboxer. I say okay, now I smash you. You know? <laughs> yeah. If he said, oh, on on the feet. If he said, if he said, if he said, if he said, no wrestling, brother. Just you and me on the feet. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Are you getting? You, you're getting the gloves on. <laughs> of course, of course. He on it. I would be 100% honest. He will have 0% chance on the feet. <laughs> zero. There's absolutely 0% chance on the feet he would even do well against me. All right. Well, I'm, I'm not – I mean, as a sparring session. I mean, a fight, yes. But, I mean, his style comes with strong wrestling. I'm not going to say I'm a better wrestler than him. In MMA, will he beat me? Probably. I mean, if he grabs me and he gets me in a body lock, I'm going for rides. It's going to be hard for me to get up. I'm not saying I'll beat him in MMA, but in striking, he has zero chance. I've always said that. Like someone like, and I'm not saying it crazy, but like George St. Pierre, he would have zero chance in a kickboxing match with me. I would not beat him in an MMA fight. I mean, George would probably admit that. George would probably match. admit it much. I don't think that. Uh, of course he would. Yeah. <laughs> of course he would admit it. And that's the same thing as Shemayev should admit. Someone like me would smash him in striking. That's all I'll hear. That's all I want to hear from him. And then the beep is squashed. That's it. Joe, you, you would smash me in striking. Then that's it. We're at, good. At five o'clock, are you sparring with anybody in like five minutes? Is, are you going to be? Uh... <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not allowed to spar at the gym. Right. Right. Or no, there's no sparring. Well, I was going to say. I, would, I, I was going to say that I, I would tell now. you. I would tell you that Shemayev would beat you on the feet just to get you fired up for whoever you're just fighting next. Just, just, to, oh, just, I... to get, just to get somebody, somebody a bad day at your gym. 
Aaron, I've never sparred with anyone in my life, and I've sparred with world champions from all different disciplines. I've never sparred with anyone where I've been like, oh my god, like I'm in trouble. I've I've sparred with hundreds of UFC fighters, and I have literally have to bring my skill level to like 50% just so they can hang with me. Welterweights, middleweights, like it's a different sport, right? It's like saying I always give the example: just because you're a professional badminton player doesn't mean you can play professional tennis. It's a racket sport; they look very similar, but they're completely different. So it would be insulting for me to say, "Hey, Shamab, I'm going to smash you in wrestling." No, or Khabib, I'm a better wrestler. That's insulting, as it would be insulting for them to tell me that I'm a, they're a better striker than me. Did you so spar with Sean? Did you spar with Sean Strickland when you were in Vegas? He's fighting this weekend. You want to know something? Sean Strickland was one of the more difficult guys I've ever sparred with. Because he's go. tall, he pressured. But I also sparred him after I just did five rounds with Chad Dupree. Okay, so I was tired and he was fresh. <laughs> so it's a little different. But he was tall, awkward, very... I, I still can't believe Strickland's recovered from... His knee was completely shattered. But he hasn't fought in like two, three years. I know, but from a completely shattered knee, I would have thought that career's over. He's a, he's a tough guy, and, and I think I said the story on the show before. Like When I met him at the Performance Institute, he was just literally asking everybody to spar. <laughs> everybody. When I tell you everybody to spar, he's from the first one day I met him, asked me to spar every day. At Chad, every team, he's gone around the whole PI asking to spar. Next thing we know, Chad and I, we go to get a nice Starbucks coffee just before we head to the Performance Institute. The Starbucks guy at the drive-thru goes, hey, you guys look like UFC fighters. Are you guys going to go train after? And and so we said, yeah. He's like, oh, some guy just came this morning <laughs> through the drive-thru and asked me to spar because I told him I had amateur boxing experience. <laughs> so he asked the Starbucks guy through the drive-thru if he would spar. Chad and I could not stop laughing. He literally asks everybody to how, spar. How, how can but you be the friendliest, nicest, you know? Such a sweet guy. I mean, just so nice and caring and just respectful. But, man, he just loves sparring. <laughs> how can you be certain it was him that asked the guy at Starbucks? Him. Did you show him a picture? Uh, who else would it be? We, <laughs> no, we explained. It was a tall guy, shaved head. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they exchanged info. He got the guy's info <laughs> to, so they can connect to go to the Institute to spar. Yeah. So I'm telling you, that's Sean Strickland, just a, a real fighter. And if you follow him on social media, you should see him like in his MMA sparring. These guys try killing each other with MMA gloves. Like He's a legit old school style MMA fighter, tough, just loves to fight. I'm 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 all for Sean Strickland. I like him. So right. well, I hope he does well and makes a recovery and is still able to do and be his crazy self. Well, he won't be fighting a barista. He'll be fighting a very tough man from Wales uh, in Jack Marshall okay. this coming weekend. Uh-oh. So, oh, hopefully, I'm sure he got his sparring in, so he's ready. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he definitely got his sparring in, that's for sure. Based on what you just told yeah. me, he probably got his sparring yeah. in. <laughs> oh, too funny. All right, yeah. Joe. Mr. Strickland. Well, I know you got to get going. Thank you for this. Appreciate it. We'll be back next week where we will recap the swan song for Adrian, Adrian Anderson, the spider Silva. Look at me disrespecting this spider uh, on the way That's out it. by calling no him way. Adrian. It's his Anderson, last UFC fight. Yeah, facing the, the, the next Anderson Silva at one point, Uriah Hall, who I think uh, when we talk about vicious knockouts, I know we talk about that uh, Joaquin Buckley knockout, but his knockout on the Ultimate Fighter against Adam Sella, I think was the sca- most scared I've ever been after watching someone get knocked out in a fight. And, and that was pre taped so I knew he wasn't going to die. The, the, the Uriah Hall one, that wheel kick. Yeah. One of my favorites. Terrifying. Well, anyhow, thanks, Joe.
we'll uh, be back next week. And uh, the interview show, I believe, will be up either tomorrow or Thursday. Uh, we'll be talking to uh, Anderson Silva. We'll be talking to Uriah Ooh. Hall. I'll be talking to Ali Abdelaziz, the manager for uh, both Khabib Nurmagomedov and Justin Gaethje, uh, to, to recap, uh, I guess, the, uh, the now-retirement fight of, uh, of Khabib Nurmagomedov and so much more. So uh, tune into that. Uh, Joe, see you next week. All right. We'll see you next week.